all the way from the other side of the state, from the Puyallup congregation, although I know he's not a resident of Puyallup. But Brother Mark Kendrick is with us, and I'm so thankful, so excited that he was able to be with us today. In just a moment, he's going to come and he's going to minister to us. Um, I was just remembering, I think it was uh, just a few days ago, we were all riding in the van, and uh, one of my kids asked my wife, uh, why is Brother Mark your brother? Oh, best friend. Why is he your best friend? And she said, what? Well, we're friends. <laughs> I don't know about besties, but we're friends. And he said, well, you said he's your cousin. And I, well, like your brother. They, they know that Brother Mark and my wife go way back, but they're just trying to figure out exactly how that works. And she said, well, I, I spent a lot of my childhood in his house growing up because his mother ran a daycare. If you don't know, it's just, it's not too far away from here. And so Brother Kendrick grew up probably one of the closest ones living to where we're at today. And uh, she's still there, Sister Marilyn. We love Sister Marilyn. And uh, Brother, Brother Kendrick, I'm going to invite you to come and take your liberty today, minister in the Holy Ghost, as I know that you will. Amen. Can we give Brother Kendrick a hand today? Praise the Lord, everyone. It's so good to be here. I, uh, I decided to leave the, uh, the bottle of smart water over there. It wasn't really doing anything for me. It was just water. So I figured I'd just switch to this one, and we'll switch to that when we need to. I love what I feel here today. I love what I feel. I love to feel the presence of God. And there is a sincerity in the, in the people of God that I feel here today. You, you are all very sincere in your pursuit of God, and I, I feel that in my spirit, and it, it is, um, it, it's, it's encouraging. It's really encouraging, uh, because hopefully that means that you come with an open mind, but an open heart, critically an open spirit, to receive what it is that the Lord has for you today. The, the Lord works with us. If you can begin involved in ministry and in sharing the word of God, you'll begin to see some patterns that the Lord works through you in some very specific ways. And the Lord knows that I am a person of order, that I am a person that likes to prepare. I am a person who likes to plan. I like to rehearse whatever speech it is that I'm going to give. And so very often the Lord, in his wisdom to ensure that he gets the glory, will wait until the absolute last minute before giving me clarity on what it is that he wants me to speak. And again, it will be different for everybody, um, but the Lord knows how to work through us in a way where he always gets the glory. Amen. Um, but sometimes I have, I have experienced some times where the Lord has has taught me something in his word. And sometimes it's just something that he's teaching me, but other times it's something that he is, is calling me to study and to go deeper into. And I've learned to, to not get too wrapped up and like, okay, when am I going to share this, right? I, I've, the Lord's given me some time to prepare. That's awesome, right? I've learned not to get too wrapped up in that, and to just receive what the Lord has. And the Lord will do this for you when you start studying his word. From just the smallest single scripture to something that is a more complete study. The Lord will guide you through a, his word. And he will teach you no matter where you are at in that process. And the Lord did that for me in this lesson um, several months back, in fact. Um, and so I, I received it. Uh, studied it, um, didn't you know, necessarily pull it all together again because I, I've learned that I, I don't want to get too wrapped up in that, just a weakness of mine. Uh, um, you'll have your own weaknesses to work through that the Lord will, will help you with. But in the last few weeks, the Lord has brought this back to memory again, along with um, significantly an understanding that I would be sharing it here with all of you. And it wasn't until Elder Flowers reached out to me fairly recently um, that I realized that the time had come to share this. And I, I communicate that to you, uh, first of all, just for everyone that is 
in the process of learning how to be used of God and to, to flow in the spirit of God, um, to, to realize that he has a specific direction for you. And he has specific timing. He has a specific word to share. And he will order your steps in ministry and in other places. The other thing that's important is that this is something which is specific for each of you here today and any of you listening online. This is specific for you. The Lord knew you would be here today, and he has prepared something specific for you today. God is a, he's a specific God in his relationship to us. It's, it's one-on-one, it's personal. And you, you see this pattern in the scripture where, yes, he would preach to the masses, but then when somebody would come to him with a need, as we heard just a few moments ago, then it's like all of that other crowd just disappeared. And it was just Jesus and the person who had a need. And he just ministered directly to them. And he can do that here today. First Chronicles chapter 21. This is a story, and I'll be reading in the, the New King James Version. Um, and uh, I, I am probably going to read the whole chapter. Um, don't panic. I, I read fairly quickly in here. Um, but it's also not a long chapter. And I want you to see the whole story of what's happening. This story is actually fairly easy to follow. It's, there's a lot going on. It moves quickly. There's, um, it, it's a little bit of an action story. There's, there's some moments of suspense and tension in here. Um, if you, just briefly in context, the, the, we find King David at this point, David being um, king of, of Israel, only the, the second king of Israel, Um, David was, the Bible says, a man after God's own heart. David was somebody who pursued a relationship with God and very likely achieved a level of relationship with God um, that was unprecedented in the entire Old Testament and to some extent even under the New Testament and the relationship we now have in the presence of God. So David understood some things about God, but just because David was king and because he wrote the book of Psalms and he was beloved of God, he was still human. And that means that he still made mistakes. And when we think of the mistakes of David, if you've done any study of the Bible, the the sort of um, the eponymous failure, if you will, the one that comes right first to mind of David is his relationship with Bathsheba and the adultery that, that folded out there. And, and so that certainly is, is sort of an epic fail on an epic scale. But this was another failure of David, one that I don't know why, but I had never really studied it until the Lord directed me to it. And so we're going to read the story of somebody making a mistake, seeing the consequences of that, but seeing how they responded in that situation and how the Lord responded to them. And in doing so, I believe that the Lord is going to give us an understanding of the mercy of God, an understanding of the mercies of God. So let's begin in here, 1 Chronicles 20, uh, 21 and verse 1. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Let me pause here for a moment. David was asking for a census. He was asking to measure the who was in the kingdom. But in this time, the, the census was specifically to measure military strength. He wanted to know how strong his nation was militarily. All right. And Joab understood that this was not right, that the strength of Israel came from God and that, that they should not be doing this. But David being king prevailed. And we read on in verse four. Nevertheless, The king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went through all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the the sum of the number of people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men 
who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. We see the first sign of wisdom on David's part. If you've done something wrong, it's good to acknowledge that you have done something wrong. If you have made a mistake, the first thing is to acknowledge, I have made a serious mistake. And David acknowledged this, and, and he realized that this was indeed a problem. And continuing on in verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So here it comes. The Lord is about to bring a consequence on David, a consequence on the kingdom of Israel. He is giving him three choices, which is a little interesting in and of itself. It's nice to have some choices. Um, I remember hearing stories of people growing up whose uh, who's, uh, father would uh, tell them to go out and, and choose a, a stick that they were going to use to apply correction to their life. And, and they would talk about the strategic process of choosing the right stick, right? If you get one that's too wimpy, he's just going to send you back. If you get one that's too hard, well, something's going to break there, right? And you get one that's too flimsy, well, that's, that's going to sting a little bit. So kind of had some choices there you had to do. Well, here the Lord is giving some choices to David, um, through Gad, who is his prophet, because again, in this time, the Lord speaks to his people through the prophets. So in verse 11, we hear what those are. So Gad came to David and said to him, thus says the Lord, choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else for three days, the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. This is, and again, we are, we're in the Old Testament, and so this was a different kind of relationship that God would have with his people. It's, we're not looking in here into the dispensation of, of grace, meaning the, the season of grace or the timing of grace that, that we are in. This was a time of the law. And so the relationship to God um, in some ways could seem very severe from our perspective here. But I think even in our modern terms, sometimes there's something that, that creeps in to our, our mindset and our perspective, our assumptions about God, especially if, if you're new to a relationship with him, there's something that creeps in that says, yeah, this is what I expect. Yeah, this is kind of what I'd expect of God. I'd ex I've got this image or this mindset of God, of somebody who's just looking for a way to bring down judgment on me. And I, I know, I hope all of you understand here that that is, is very much not the case, but I, I want to call that out because depending on where you have come from, depending on what your background is, there are some faiths that are a little bit heavy on the guilt. They're a little heavy on the judgment of God. There, there's some beliefs that, that really kind of just give you this impression that God is something to be avoided and, and that he's just waiting for an opportunity for you to step out of line so that he can bring down his judgments on you. And, and that, that actually was a prevailing belief for a good season of time. Unfortunately, things have gone a little bit the opposite extreme now, and that a lot of, of what we would term modern Christianity has gone so far away from that that they've stepped away from doctrine, stepped away from the Word of God, and are not addressing the sin issue that actually brings the judgment of God. God has no interest in bringing judgment on his people, but there is a consequence of the sin that is within us. And these things have to be reconciled. So this right here, again, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe at some point in our lives, uh, maybe even right now, in where you are at in your understanding of God, this is kind of what we'd expect. And on the other extreme, even those of us, myself included, who have, 
have found a, a relationship with God, who've received the salvation of God and the Spirit of God in my life, there is a part of me that looks at the evil I see in the world and sometimes says, where is the judgment of God, right? Where is the consequences for what I see around me? And that too is not of God, and we'll explore that a little bit more. But here we have this decision that King David is faced with, three choices for judgment. It says something about the relationship between God and David that God even gave him a choice of these things. But here he was having to decide um, between these options. And so in verse 13, and David says to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Well, that's an interesting phrase, if you think about it. Remember I said we're going to be speaking here about the mercy of God today, right? You realize that David was given three choices of judgment, three punishments, three options by which not only himself, but even the kingdom that he is governing is going to experience the consequences. He's given three choices of judgment, and in the midst of that, he says here, for his, he let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. I didn't hear an option for mercy in any of that. I didn't hear an option given to David to choose option four of mercy. That wasn't on the menu here. It wasn't in the list. And yet somehow David is seeing a perspective of God. He is seeing something about the nature of God and his relationship with God, something that we can learn from and also something that actually defines the very character of God and should also define us. It is this notion of mercy. So let's read on and see how this unfolds. In verse 14, so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, it is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. You read this in King James, the word in here is that the Lord repented of his action, which if you encounter that phrase in the Bible, can sometimes be a little bit arresting. It's like, well, wait a minute, God repented? What is that? Like, I thought repentance was, like, coupled together with sin. God cannot sin. Why would God repent? You'll see this, actually. Just do a, do a study, find your favorite app, do a search across there. Go looking for the times when God repented. It happens a lot. It's kind of surprising. And the way to understand this is to remember that when we talk about repentance, yes, for us, we're talking about turning away from sin, but the word simply means to turn completely, to go a different direction than I was going before, to reverse course entirely. That's what the word means. So when we are repenting of our sins, we are making a declaration and a decision, I want to go in a different direction than the self-destructive nature that I have given myself to and the direction that I have gone to to date. When God repented, as he did here, he chooses a different course. And so if you follow what's happening here, of the three options, it was the plague that came and hit them. And there was 70,000 people that died. 70,000 people. It was, it was David that made the mistake, but it was, there was some collateral damage. Um, this, that's just part of being in a leadership position, whether it's in a leadership of your home or in, in another leadership position, um, there's a responsibility that comes with that leadership um, because there's some collateral damage that can happen when you step out of the will of God. And we see that here in a, just a tragic way. But then we find that something really interesting happens, that in the midst of the destroying angel going out and killing these people on the edge of Jerusalem, on the outskirts of the city, something happened, and God put 
a pause on that. And it was a pause. He didn't end the judgment, but he stopped. And as we read further, we're going to learn what the intention of that was. Quick side note there, and it says, by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Bit of a pro tip when you're reading the Bible. Um, that right there, those kinds of phrases are biblical GPS, if you will. They, they didn't have absolute locations at the time, and there was no way to really um, definitively define a location except by defining who owned it, where that per who that person was, and where they came from. And so here he is defining a very specific location where the Lord came onto the outskirts of the city and stopped there. We might describe it as a suburb today in that city. It was a, a farming area, a threshing floor is a place where wheat was threshed. Um, that threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, by the way, that's a significant location. We'll come back and look at that in a moment. But you get the picture here, right? 70,000 people are dead. More are, on the, are imminently going to die but instead, a window of time has opened here. So in verse 16, Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. Therefore the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. But Ornan continued threshing wheat. So David came to Ornan and Ornan looked and saw David and he went out on the threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me for the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. What was happening here? What was the reason for the Lord's staying judgment? What, what was this pause in this incredibly tragic and, and dramatic and powerful manifestation of God, of the judgment of God? What was it that he was doing? He was creating an opportunity for David to respond with sacrifice and to make atonement for his error and to change course and to alter really the path forward that was going forward here. He was creating an opportunity and David was responding to this. You see in here and in the verses to come, this land belonged to a man by the name of Ornan and this was his farmland. And so David is in the process of saying, I'm going to create an altar here. And as we go forward, this is essentially a business exchange that happens. Ornan is going to offer it to him for free. David says, no, this needs to be a sacrifice. And so I'm going to buy it from you. And we continue on in there in verse 23. Ornan said to David, take it yourself and let my Lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Then King David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place, and David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord, and he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offerings. So the Lord commanded the angel and he returned his sword to his sheath. This, this story here, remember what we said where when David was given an option to choose judgments, he cited the mercy of God? You know what I believe was happening in that moment? Given the choice, because again, David understood the heart of God. David understood the perspective of God. David understood what we need to understand here today in this place. Given a choice, 
between the judgments of God, David chose mercy instead. And the way that he chose mercy was by allowing God to take the course, however it is he decided. Because David understood that at some point, mercy would come on the scene. At some point, the merciful nature of God would override even the judgment of sin. And it would be manifest there among the people. And that mercy would open a window of time and a window of opportunity in which David could respond to the presence of God. He could sacrifice, make atonement, and reestablish relationship with God, and that would stop the judgment. Nothing can stop the judgment of God except the mercy of God. David understood this, and so given a choice here, he just put the whole thing back in God's hands because he knew that at some point the mercy of God would be what decides the outcome. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know where you are at in, in your relationship with God, whether this is something that is sort of new to you or if this is something that you've been into for a long time. But I can tell you this, that you need the mercy of God. I need the mercy of God. He is, he is not, judgment is something that God does when all other options for mercy has ended. Mercy is who he is. Mercy defines who he is. And it is the love of God and it is the mercy of God that he wants us to experience on a daily basis, but also specifically here today. Can we take a moment and just worship him for a moment and thank him for his mercy? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Show me your mercy, O oh God. Show me your mercy, O oh God. Show me your mercy. Show me your mercy. Mm. Oh, hallelujah. If you embark on a study of mercy, and by that I mean you just call up your favorite Bible app and search for the word mercy and start walking through the verses in the Bible where we find that the translators use the English word mercy, it, you will very quickly find yourself studying basically the Bible. You will find yourself studying God. You will find yourself re studying the revealing of God in his true nature. Because from the beginning all the way until now, and as we will see before we close here, the all the way into the end in Revelation, the action of mercy dominates everything that God does. It defines his action, his relationship with us. From the very beginning of time when he created us with a free will and an ability to choose our own course and some choices were made that brought sin into our lives from that very moment God could have said all right that's it I'll try something else but he didn't instead he said I can fix this I can fix this and early on he provided a covering for the shame that that sin brought but he also established way back in the very first few chapters of the Bible a pattern and a prophecy that there would one day come a time when his mercy would be manifest among us in a very specific way and sin itself would lose its grip on us and the Lord would define a new course and a new option for us so that if we choose we could receive his mercies anew and as you go through the entire Bible you see places that really challenge this notion of God that is that, that somehow creeps in that he's just looking for a way to to punish us that he's somehow just looking for a way to judge us that is not the case at all that is not the case quite the contrary in fact and we can see this and I'm just going to pick a few verses here so that you have some hope of eating whatever Easter dinner is for you sometime before tomorrow but in Psalm 23 Psalm 23 is a very powerful and, and poetic um, passage. Many of us can probably quote it. Um, it has a statement about mercy at the end that is, is very powerful. And again, the same, it's, it's David that wrote this psalm, the same king. And we, we don't know the timing necessarily, but, but we do know that this experience that he had here that we read about um, certainly was, 
was from a position of an understanding of the mercy of God. And in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now listen to this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word there, follow, the original Hebrew word that David would have written in that was a word that actually means to pursue or to be pursued. It, it is translated in some places that you are almost harassing someone as an enemy is like harassing the people of God. It is, to, it is to run. It is something that is an active word. We read here follow, and the, in English that comes to us as sort of a passive phrase. But when David would have wrote this in the, in the actual Hebrew that he would have written it in, it was a much more active sort of a thing. I don't, and don't raise your hand here if this is any of you, but uh, I've never experienced what it's like to be a fugitive of justice. Um, if, if, if you have been, I don't want to know. If, if you are a fugitive of justice, I really don't want to know, right? I don't, just, just, just no thank you. Um, this notion of like, of, of, that you're somehow trying to stay ahead of the law, trying to stay ahead of the consequences. There's a lot of folks who see their relationship with God like that. They, they stay away from God out of concern that they're going to enter into some kind of this scenario where they are, are going to be somehow a fugitive of God. And so they, they do everything they can to stay away from God because they, they don't want those, the things in them that he could actually fix. They don't want those things to be exposed. And so they are, they're looking at this as if they are a fugitive of God. But I would submit to you today that King David understood that if anything, we, if we are living outside of a relationship with God, we are fugitives of mercy. We are fugitives of mercy. We are running to stay ahead of the mercy of God. And you understand, this is a season where we get to choose. We've, we've got free will here, folks. We can make our own decision. We can choose our own course. So if you run fast enough, you can actually stay ahead of the mercy of God. But you're going to have to put some effort into it. Because as David said here, it is going to pursue you. It is going to pursue you wherever you go in your life. It is pursuing you even here today. Whether it is something that is just early in your relationship with God, or if you've been in this a while, as certainly David would have been when he wrote this, he understood that he was living a life where he was always being pursued pursued by the mercy of God. And this is what we expect of a loving God. This is what we expect of God who loves us, who wants us to come back into relationship with him and desperately wants to show us his power and his love, his grace, and yes, his mercy. I don't know where you are at today in this. I'm not sure if, uh, if, if, you are living your life as David did, where he is expecting to be pursued by mercy. Um, but I would submit that it, just as David did, when the Lord creates those windows of opportunity in our lives, those opportunities to repent, to change direction, when the Lord creates a time of, of an altar, of a time of separation, a time where, where things are sort of put on pause, I would encourage you to respond in that moment when that happens because the Lord is creating an opportunity for you to receive mercy from him. The... When we, when we read through, as I said, the story of God's relationship to his people, it is defined by mercy. And, and as I said, he covered us early in, in Genesis and, and addressed the, 
the, the beginnings of the sin problem, but this would progress, of course, until eventually he would establish the um, the, the, the temple, the, the tabernacle uh, worship and a process where the blood of, of goats and uh, blood of bulls would pay for the sins of the people, would push forward the sins of the people. And that's an extensive study. We won't go into it here. But that whole thing that happened, everything where God is, is giving the Ten Commandments and he's, he's giving instruction to build this place of atonement and walk them through the process, all of that was for one purpose, so that God could come down and be in the midst of his people. It, his, it was a manifestation of his mercy so he could restore relationship with them. But of course, it was really just a temporary atonement. It wasn't something that that would last um, in, in perpetuity. And so it was an incomplete process. And that's also where this becomes amazing because despite the fact that we, we deserve judgment, despite the fact that many of us expect judgment for our sins and other things that, that we have done, despite all of that, God said, okay, not only can I fix this, but I'm going to fix it on a personal level. And what he did for us is recognizing that sin had a cost, that sin had to be paid for, but knowing that he wanted to reestablish relationship with us, God in his amazing power chose to come and walk among us and place that power of God and manifest in a man and walk among us for a few years and then eventually die for us. And that, of course, was, the, was Jesus Christ. The, the, the name Jesus means God has become salvation. It's, it, you don't need to think of it as a separate entity or person. I, I don't need to even think of that as a separate concept. In fact, it's even more powerful to realize that it was God himself who chose to robe himself in flesh and it manifest his mercy in a very direct and specific way and then to experience, as, as we heard very recently in the song and in the speaking here, to actually die for us, to experience death for us, so that his sins could atone for us. And so it was that in John chapter 1 and verse 29, when John, who was uh, baptizing, John the Baptist was baptizing, and he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. What was that reference to? It was reaching all the way back to a time when God was about to pull them out of Egypt, which represented sin. He was going to pull them out of there and manifest his mercy. They'd been slaves there for hundreds of years, and God was about to establish them as a people. But in the process of bringing them out, there was a series of plagues and judgments that happened that the on the... Um, nation of Egypt, and some of which God, in just a miraculous way, established a barrier between the place where the where they were living and the rest of it, and this was a miracle. I, I don't remember specifically if it started with the with the lice or the darkness or or with any of these other things that you think really shouldn't honor any kind of a dividing line. But in the miracle of God, he defined a separation. But when the final judgment came down on that rebellious nation, there was no dividing line. And the angel of death was going across all of the people there, and it was going to span both the camp of the Israelites and also the homes of the Egyptians. And it would claim the firstborn son because... The sin, again, has a cost. It has something must die. But in this process that was going to go out across with no dividing line, the Lord established a pattern. He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take the blood of a spotless lamb, and you're going to put it over the doorposts of your house, and that's going to cover your house. And so when the angel of death comes over, he's going to pass over your home. He's going to pass over that, and that judgment of God is not going to be present there. And so that established the pre the the 
pattern of the, the feast of Passover, one of the most holy and precious times. And really what that was was a celebration of the mercy of God manifest to the people. But again, it was simply for a season. And so when John declares him here to behold that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he is acknowledging what was made evident again and again throughout the New Testament, throughout the statement of the apostles repeated in the letters of Paul that that action of God manifesting in the flesh and exhibiting his mercy there was going to break the hold of sin forever and it would establish a pattern where we could reach out and bring on that mercy of God and it would establish a way for us to have relationship with God and to be free of the eternal judgment of sin. This is how much God loves us, folks. This is how much he loves us. So as I conclude here, if you'd like to stand so I can give you some hope um, that I will be, be ending soon, I want to I just really emphasize to you this. I want to really challenge, and I, again, I'm, I'm trying to get away from this, but it it seems to be an issue, and so here we go again. I really want to challenge this assumption that some of us make that God is somehow seeking every opportunity to judge us. I want to challenge this notion that God is just trying to look for a way to punish us. I, I want to really challenge that, and I want you to see in, in Revelation chapter 5, I'm just going to read a few verses here. Revelation 5 and verse 5, again, that this is a this is prophecy. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of imagery and symbology in here, but there's enough specifics here. We can follow pretty clearly what's happening. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. I'm going to pause here for a second. When you go forward in here, you read what this represents. The seals represent the judgment of God on the earth. And they are some very serious things. There is, the first seal is, is an endless conquering and gives an impression of an endless war. Another seal is, is describing taking away peace from the earth. The third brings scarcity and economic destruction. Fourth is widespread death by various means. Fifth is martyrs and people dying for the cause of Jesus Christ. The sixth, things get even crazier. We've got earthquakes going on. We've got stars and planets falling from the sky. And then the seventh seal is basically a package deal. You've got things going on with the, the vegetation on the earth, the seas, the water, all of these things. This is basically at the point where we're about to wrap up the whole thing. And the judgment of God is about to be poured out. But here we find the whole process is stopped. A little bit like that time where that we read at the opening here, where that, that sword that was still drawn, it wasn't sheathed, but it was drawn, it was looming over Jerusalem. It's the same thing here. But something has stopped the process. Something has said that these judgments would not go forward yet. And so as we continue on in verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Do you see what happened here? Even at the very end of all of this, even at the conclusion where the judgment of God is about to be released in an absolutely apocalyptic way, that judgment would not proceed until mercy was on the scene. I said that judgment would not proceed until mercy was on the scene. The mercy of God had to be present there. And for him to see this image of a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, this, the lamb of God, to see that image there, that is the manifestation 
of the mercy of God there in the midst of the conclusion of all things. For he indeed is worthy in his, in his revealing of his mercy to us. It says as we read on, and they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. This, this should tell you, as if nothing else really did already here, just how urgent and how necessary and how specific the mercy of God can be. That even at the conclusion of everything, with the presence and power of God present there, he would not allow the judgment to go forth until mercy had been manifest and that the blood of that lamb had been applied to those who had received it and who had walked in relationship with him. This is a time of mercy. It is a time of mercy on a sort of a theological scale, if you will. We, we call it the dispensation of mercy. It's, it's a, a season of mercy spanning a few thousand years. We, we don't really know for sure when it's going to end, but we do know that we are in a season of mercy. But even beyond that, specifically down to this moment here in this building, in this place, in this time, there is a moment of mercy that is opening for every one of us here. And if you've, if you've received the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you have been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've repented of your sins, I can tell you from experience, you still need the mercy of God. I still need the mercy of God. The Bible says that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet in Lamentations it said that His Loving kind, his goodness is loving kindness, and his mercies are new every morning. It tells me that he's got something new to reveal to me. It tells me that he's got some new mercy for me. I wonder if it's how long it's been since you've received a fresh dose of mercy of God. This may be a good opportunity to receive the mercy of God anew. And again, if this is your first time here, or if you're still just figuring all of this out. Let me affirm for you that what you are feeling here in this place is the love of God. There may be a part of you that wants to recoil. There may be a part of you that wants to pull back. There may be something that's like, wow, I don't know if I like this. Yeah, that'd be the sin in you. That would be the part of you that, that is, is in conflict with God. But sin has no power Oh, in comparison to the mercy of God. And today in this place, you can receive his mercy and you can begin that process of reestablishing relationship with him. I'm going to open these altars here. I encourage you to come and receive what the Lord has for you here today. I'm so grateful for his presence. I'm grateful for his mercy. Come and receive of the mercy of God. Come and receive anew of the mercies that he has for you. Come and experience the love of God. Come and experience his love, his power, his strength. Know that he is a God of mercies. Oh, that he is a God of mercies. Set aside now, if you will, those ideas that he is just seeking to judge you. Come into the presence of God and know his love and know his power and his strength. I wish. 
talk to the Lord from a place of honesty. Be open and honest with the Lord today. God, I need you. I need you above all else, Lord. I can't make it on my own, Lord Jesus. I need your mercy covering my life. I need your goodness covering my life, Lord. I need the mercy of God over me every day. Oh, come on, hallelujah. I put my life in your hands, God. I put my life in your hands, Lord Jesus. Oh, I give it to you, Lord. I surrender all to you, Jesus. You're the one that cares about me. You're the one that cares about me, Lord. The one that looks after me, Lord Jesus. The one that follows after me. You're the one, Lord, that seeks to save. Hallelujah. You're the one, oh God, that desires to reach into my life, Lord, and cover it with your hand. Cover it with your blood. Cover it with your mercy. Hallelujah. 
This is a visitation of the Lord's mercy that we get to experience today. This is a visit from Him. He's here with His mercy. He's here with His goodness. He's here with His long-suffering. He's here to apply it to your life today. He's here to offer it to us today. Oh, I accept it, Lord. I receive it, Jesus. Put it over my life, God. Put it over my life, Lord Jesus. Hide me under your wing, oh God. Hide me under the flow of your blood, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank the Lord for his mercy. I want to I want to say thank you to Brother Kendrick for ministering to us today. Amen. This is rich, rich ministry we received. I believe the Lord showed showed me that in the scripture that says that his mercies are new every morning. I, uh, I'll confess to you my understanding of that has not always been as clear as the Lord has made it today for me. I assume he makes his mercy new every morning because he knows we're human and we may fail and we may need mercy that day. And I believe that is true, but I also believe he makes his mercy new every morning for the person who may not have chosen his mercy yesterday that is still here today. If you're still here today, it 
maybe you did not choose to cover your life with the mercy of God yesterday or last week or last year or whenever it was in the past. Thank the Lord that His mercy is new today for me to choose to have His... I don't know that I ever realized I have the choice to put myself under His mercy. I think, well, He's just going to have to swoop in and cover it. No, I can choose. Lord, I put myself at Your mercy because it's new for me. Because You already paid that price for me. It's offered to me. Can we just pray? Lord, I thank You. I receive it today, God. I receive Your mercy over my life, Lord Jesus. God, let it cover me. Let it cover me this day. Let it cover my past, Lord Jesus. And I believe you will make it new every day, oh God. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for it today, Jesus. I'm thankful for it today, oh God. I choose to put myself at your mercy. I choose to put myself under the flow of your blood, under the flow of your covering. I'm thankful for it today, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Brother Kendrick, thank you. Thank you for ministering to us. Amen. You are dismissed. I encourage you to greet one another. Find someone. Tell them it's good to see them today. God bless you. We'll see you Tuesday night at 7. Amen.